The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. All right, I want to welcome everyone to our next podcast. This podcast is going to be on on essentially on growing nurse leaders. And uh, I'm Clay Christensen, and I'm here with uh, on the phone with Dr. Ann Scott Bluen, and I RN PhD, uh, LFACHE, RSVP. A, there's just a lot of initials that uh, are are behind, and and she can kind of talk about her story of of those. She she has a doctorate in nursing and is a member of of the uh, board of directors, and. Hopefully everybody listening has heard this mantra before. We, we, we repeat it a lot that we are a leadership development company that happens to be in healthcare. And, and one of the things we really want to be better at is developing our nurses into leaders. So, and maybe if you could start just by telling us a little bit about your history so that, so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Sure, Clay. Thanks very much. And I'm happy to have a chance to talk a little bit about nurses and leaders. So I began actually, uh, I did not come from a healthcare family. So I began by working as a nursing assistant in a hospital in the Chicagoland area on a medical surgical unit, taking care of people that, that were really pretty sick. And I needed to discover whether or not I liked being a nurse. And so I had a wonderful um, role model, uh, the head nurse at the time was called head nurse of the patient care unit, who encouraged me to go on to nursing school. I started with an associate degree in nursing, and I worked full-time and went to school full-time. And then while I was finishing my associate, I started my bachelor's in nursing, and then went on to get my master's in nursing, and had a family and some children, and got married. And... um, really went from being a nurse leader as a young staff nurse. Even then, I recognized you didn't have to be in management, although you could be. Um, And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But you can be a leader in any venue that you're in. Uh, A leader doesn't depend upon having a formal title or a formal management responsibility. And so I recognized that I wanted to be able to do good by doing doing well, I guess is the expression. And that, that was in whatever job I um, was chosen and had the honor to, to be and the privilege really to, to do with patient care. So I sort of climbed the ladder of nursing administration at, at both academic medical centers and community hospitals, got involved with home care, um, got involved with lots of different um, areas of, of health care. And um, Along the way, uh, got some additional degrees, business degree, and then a PhD, and have had just a great 
experience um, trying to bring nursing with me into every single opportunity that I that I had, including being a board member, trying to reflect the importance of nursing and the importance of the work that nurses do. And what pushed you to keep going on? And I, I'm curious if you if you immediately were happy about the choice you made to become a nurse, or if it had to grow on you, and then and then once you you know were a nurse's aide and then a and then a nurse and going on from there, what what pushed you to keep going? Oh, gosh. Um, For me, Clay, it was all about um, the patient care and the ability to improve things. I've always been interested in quality and safety. That's sort of my my passion and mm. my what what keeps me going and so um, in every place I I worked whether it was a nursing assistant or a nurse manager or director of nursing or VP for nursing or or an administrator I tried to look at what I could do to improve the care of patients make it safer and higher quality and that really kept me going um, wasn't always easy there were people that sometimes disagreed with me that's normal in life you're going to have folks that um, see things differently but I knew that that I could um, really help patients by being appropriately assertive and putting my concerns as I as I started to continue on in school I got better at um, taking my concerns that were initially um, all qualitative and starting to put those into quantitative numbers which is what business people deal with so that that was very very helpful so and you actually, love I, it's kind yeah. of like you love seeing the measurements and love seeing the impact that you could have on the that that makes sense to me it seems like every job I've had that I have loved it's when I feel like I'm making an impact and obviously as a nurse I mean if you can't recognize that you are having an impact then then right you know, then, then something's missing there because uh, it just seems like it's one of those clear jobs. But, but at the same time, I mean, obviously nursing turnover is, is really high. And honestly, that kind of makes sense to me. I mean, I'm not a nurse, but, but it's, it seems like there's a lot of pressure. It looks hard. Your, your customer doesn't necessarily want to be your customer. They'd rather be home and healthy and, and, and the results of your work have heavily, heavy implications. You've got all the regulations, lawsuits, so many different. So what keeps nurses in nursing? How do they, how do you maintain that drive and that passion for what you do with all that noise that's surrounding you? So uh, Clay, I think there's a couple things that keep nurses in nursing and keep us doing nursing in whatever setting, whether it's uh, site or whether it's it's uh, me teaching now at Loyola University, um, teaching nursing students. And, and those are, first of all, those sort of inner core beliefs that you carry with you from your family and how you grow up about caring for other people. Um, you know, one of the Caplico values is love and loving other people and caring for other people and wanting them to be cared for well when my dad was in assisted living the last couple years when he couldn't live by himself and didn't want to live with us um gosh the the caring and the love that was demonstrated by the staff that took care of him the nurses and the nursing assistants was overwhelming um they they truly loved him and they did everything they could to make life as easy for an elderly man with you know serious congestive heart failure and arthritis i also think that nurses have a sense of empathy and connections to others um people joke that i'm a good networker but i think nurses are good networkers we tend 
tend to want to say, oh, gee, I know somebody that could help you with that. I, I, I know somebody that specializes in that particular area and, and connect other people. You made a point earlier about making a difference in this world. There's nothing more compelling than to know. And I remember as a young um, staff nurse, I got a letter from a patient who was British. I was working as a staff nurse in OB at that point. And this patient wrote me a letter um, because she had some clinical challenges. That, that And I helped her through that with her baby. And she wrote me this letter, um, and she it was so meaningful to me about the difference I made in her life. That kind of feeling and yeah. then being willing to learn and be open to other people, um, that, that helps. I do think that it's important to work in an environment where the culture of that environment, which which is actually my dissertation work, is on organizational culture, hmm. that the culture is supportive of people learning and people growing and getting new experiences. So a supportive environment for the right nurses or the right people who want to enter nursing, I think is very important. So making sure they know those options are there and, and yes. uh, you know, it makes me think a lot about as you were talking and talking about, you know, the impact people have had on your loved ones and, and that you've had on people as a nurse. You know, I think of the airline industry and the airline industry is, you know, they're, they're, they're First and foremost mission is safety, safety. Yep. But, but when I rate the airline industry, when I go on a flight and I'm scoring them one to 10, I'm not scoring them on their safety. I, I'm, I'm scoring, you know, you didn't crash once, so I'm going to give you a 10, right. right? I mean, that's not, but but what they I am- just take it for granted that you're going to be safe. That's you're right. You're going to your destination safely. Right? And, and so as a nurse, you have that pressure, you know, do no harm, make sure you provide great care and, and do it. But really- where I'm seeing the huge impact, I mean, obviously there's impact there that in that very base need, but then the huge impact of, well, they actually cared about me. They made me, you know, they made, they gave me, they didn't just keep me alive. They gave me a reason to live. And, and that's where the nurse is so appreciated and where I would think the nurse can see that they can, they can make, you know, quite a bit of, of impact. Absolutely. You know, I think, I think nurses um, very much make a difference. Uh, and it, now it's, you know, measured in many places, patient satisfaction or resident satisfaction to evaluate. And what, what really makes the difference for patients, to, it's not always the technical aspects of the care, it's the interpersonal aspects. Yeah. It's listening intentionally and carefully when someone says to you, when you're so busy and you just want to say, excuse me, I, I've got to go on to the next, you know, resident, yeah. it's the ability to stop and say, you know, Mr. Mr. Scott, I, I have to do one quick thing, but I, I'll come back in and be honest and say half an hour or whenever, and, and I'd like you to tell me that story then, and then, of course, follow through with that. That makes, that makes a difference between feeling like, it's it's a partnership between the resident, the resident's loved ones, and the nurses caring for the resident. It, it's such a difference in gratitude and in a sense of caring that, to be honest, I think it, it reflects back on nurses' satisfaction, their job satisfaction. I also think the gratitude that we're we're given a special chance. These are these are people that are in some of the most vulnerable times of their lives and. It's an honor, truly an honor, 
to try to help them either get better or die with dignity. And mm. I, I think being mindful of every interaction and not just blowing it off as the expression goes or saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, he's just another old geezer. Um, that, that type of, of attitude, it comes through in our maybe not our verbal, but our nonverbal behavior. So I think it's really important to be positive even today. And we'll talk a little bit about COVID in, in just a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I could again. I I've never been a nurse. I've never been a nurse's aide, but I I could I could almost understand the temptation for a nurse when you're around loss of life to to not want to personalize it, to not want to bring it in to protect yourself from the pain that you might feel upon losing the person. Right. So you almost almost start to yeah. treat it like it's like it's inventory. But it sounds like you're saying you've got to let those relationships in if you want to if you want to really connect and really truly love being a nurse. Am I am I stating that right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll never forget, and I still know her name, <laughs> so mm. it's obvious that I won't forget. My my very first patient that I um, cared for day after day, got close to, was a patient who started out with breast cancer and the cancer metastasized, and she had two teenage girls and a husband. Mm. And she wanted, um, and I was I was taking care of her. She she couldn't do much anymore because she was so sick. But she still could use her hands. And she asked me if I knew how to crochet or knit, and I, and I did know how to crochet. <laughs> so I taught her how to crochet, and she crocheted a scarf for each of her daughters um, before she passed away. And mm. so I wrote an article years and years ago, and just a a little local Illinois um, nursing journal that talked about what Dorothy taught me. And and she really taught me that, number one, um, compassion comes in all forms. For me, it was a lot, my head nurse allowing me to sit with that patient a little bit extra beyond my shift. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't do overtime. I just did it on my own time. It was the ability, nobody said to me, you can't buy, you know, you can't buy a crochet hook for her or yarn. It, it's okay. Everybody was supportive of the things I was doing to, to support Dorothy. And it made a big difference in Dorothy's final days. So, yes, I think you you take that stuff with you. My, my father, I'm sure, um, was grateful for every single moment that his caregivers spent with him. And he mm. loved them, and they loved him. So I, I, do, I do think you take it with you. And I think you can't. You can't be a caring human being and, and put up a wall and be completely successful um, as a nurse or a physician. I think you do you do interact with people's lives in a very vulnerable moment. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, you're making me kind of want to become a nurse. Except I might pass <laughs> I might pass out at my first blood draw. Uh, I I you know it's it's. Um, as I think about all these things, you know, I know in your nursing schooling, you're learning all these technical skills, but all these things you're talking about, the communication, the compassion, were you developed in your communication abilities? Because you're, you know, you you made a point of saying, hey, you know, Mr. Smith, I can't, I can't come to you right now, but I will be back in 30 minutes, sort of learning the importance of communication and, and how important that is to the, to the people that you're serving. That's a great question, a great comment. Um, no, I wasn't extremely um, sophisticated in my communication skills. I think that what I observed and what I what I think 
others can do who are interested in, in being leaders, whether it's management or non-management, is they can watch people that they admire who have excellent communication skills with, with residents and families. They can model behavior and learn from those really good exemplars. They can also watch people that are not such good communicators. Yeah. I had a, I had a um, when I was a young staff nurse, I had a leader that frankly, uh, had terrible communication style. She constantly uh, degraded people and made fun of people. And and I recognized that I never wanted to be like her. And I, mm. I hope that I'm not like her in any, you know, shape or form. I think that the leadership qualities that nurses um, need to develop, uh, I think honesty is the best policy. And I know that sounds trite um, or Pollyanna-ish, but when you're honest, you never have to worry about whether you told one person one thing and told somebody something else. You just tell the truth and you're honest. And if someone says to you, are you, you know, are you upset or do you agree with that? You can respectfully say, um, I don't agree. And, and here's why without being angry about it or, or mean, I do think the, the principle of respect, respect for everybody, respect for your colleagues, respect for other team members, respect for leaders, uh, respect for for the patients or the residents and their families. Um, that's core to the principles and, and really, really important. I think you do have to have the courage of your convictions. I had several times when I had to make a decision whether I would do the right thing for the patient, even though, um, honestly, it wasn't the popular thing to do. But I knew that from a patient, and sometimes it's for your staff if you're in an administrative role, that to do the right thing required courage. Yeah. But, but you know, you have to do that. And then compassion we've talked about. The other thing is patience. And I have developed more patience over time. I don't honestly think it's my strongest suit. Clay, I think I'm still a little bit impatient, <laughs> but I'm a little better than when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> we'll one day get perfect at that, right? I'm assuming that'll happen <laughs> one day. I, I, I love this idea of picking your mentors and and and. and <laughs> Even even picking and observing the mentors that you don't want to have, you know, you, you I think it's a great point that you can learn from from the good and the bad. And 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 when you find the good, really just observe what's good about them. How is it that they communicate with their partners and with their with their patients? And I love that because one of the things that I've learned is great nurses don't always make great nurse leaders, right? Absolutely. I mean, and it's a, mis- it's a mistake that a lot of leaders make is they, they have this amazing nurse, so they must make a great nurse leader. And what would you say to a nurse? Um, and, and you talked about this a little bit, you know, as far as finding mentors and learning from them, but, but if a nurse is saying, okay, I want to continue progressing, I want to expand my influence. I'd like to develop leadership qualities, uh, what are the qualities you recommend they develop and and how do you recommend they really go about trying to develop them? Sure. Well, we talked about, you know, honesty, respect, courage, patience, and compassion. But I think one of the biggest issues that I, you know, I honestly, early on probably wasn't aware of it, but you have to think about being open to new things and realizing that um, a challenging situation, a new role, taking on a new project as a, as a staff member, not necessarily a manager, but being willing to accept new responsibility and learn new things that you don't know. Being willing to say, I, I don't know how to do that, but I'm willing to learn. Um, 
so for example, when my very first management job, I was not in a management job as a nurse manager. I was a, a staff a clinical nurse specialist. And a colleague, a nurse colleague, who's still my friend to this day, some 40 years later, called me up and said, I'd like you to come and apply for this um, nurse manager job of this large patient care unit. And I said, but I, I don't know how to do budget. And she said, oh, my goodness, and we can teach you that. Don't worry about that. And she was right. Mm. I, I learned budget. It was, you know, it was definitely learnable. Um, and so being willing to try new things. When I went in to be a partner at Ernst & Young, I you know, I didn't know the first thing about the professional services accounting firm other than that they did audits. Um, <laughs> that, that, that was also a leap, a leap of faith that I could learn. I think the other thing that is really important, in addition to taking responsible risks, and President Obama said sometimes learning comes from, you know, as much as from failures, as much as your successes. And I think that's true. When I went to be a chief nursing officer, my CEO said to me, all this innovation that you want to try, and it was in the middle of a major nursing shortage. Uh, everybody was using outside agency nurses like crazy in Chicagoland. Mm. And he said, how many of these innovations do you think you'll, you know, be successful at? And I said, and I, you know, I was a little nervous. I said, well, I hope of the, you know, the 10 I'm trying, maybe seven of the 10. And he just laughed and said, oh, Anne, you know, it, I, I'd be delighted if two of the 10 were successful. Yes. And it was true. Some of them, you know, some of them didn't succeed, but I tried and it was responsible um, risks. The other thing is that, you, you know, that expression, all boats rise together um, yeah. or all ships rise together, whatever that is. That that is true. Um, so helping other people grow, whether they're nurses or non nurses, we all rise together and we all get better. Um, I did ha sometimes have to place confidence in my other teammates uh, that because you can't do it all yourself. One of the things that a lot of um, us are are challenged with is we we think that you know we've got to do everything for the patient or the resident, and the reality is. Others have roles to play, too. So I learned a lot from my physical therapist colleagues, for example. You know, I could learn from them, and I could certainly encourage um, some of the, the passive range of motion exercises for people that, that were so debilitated. But I, you know, I, I knew that I was not going to have the same uh, technical, con you know, competence that they had. So working together, um, I think, is important as well. And that everybody talks about teamwork but it is probably one of the most um, difficult things to try to express to people. When you have it and you have a team that trusts each other, I really believe you can move mountains. But when you have a team that is suspicious of each other or not supportive of each other, not confident that everybody's rowing the boat the same way, um, then things start to fall apart a bit. Yeah, there's a great book uh, called The Speed of Trust, I believe, and, and it's yes. just this that whole concept, right, of, of what lack of trust, what how that gets in the way of your teams. It seems like a lot of what you're talking about really relies on on personal humility. When you when you talk about trying new roles and responsibilities, admitting when you don't know how to do something, I, I honestly I can say for the first half of my life. I, and I, I don't like saying this about myself. I was not good at doing things that I'm not good at, meaning uh -huh. meaning I didn't like to put myself in situations where I knew I might look like a fool or look untalented or if all of my friends were going skiing and I didn't want and I didn't know how to ski as well. 
I wasn't good at, you know, humbly putting myself in this position. And and it sounds like you're saying, put yourself in those situations. Be willing to walk into rooms where the light is not on and say, hey, I can't see. And, and can somebody help me see? And that that will that, be a key to their growth. Absolutely true. It, and and it, it does take humility and it takes... A, a healthy sense of willingness to, to learn from others. Um, I remember some of the very first time I, you know, I'm old enough that we didn't actually grow up with computers. I, I didn't, you know, I, I had to take when I was in my going on for my MBA and PhD, I had to take an undergraduate IT class with kids that were, you know, half, half my age. <laughs> um, and it was a very humbling experience to, to try to learn. But but I was glad I did it. I was glad that I learned it because then I could take those skills. You know, I, I'll never be the kind of expert user that my, you know, our son is. He's he's because they grow up with a technology now right. everywhere. But but at least I'm competent to be able to do that. And I I didn't mind saying to people, I don't know how to do that. I can't truncate a large file. Can you teach me how to truncate a large <laughs> file? And then I went. You say went what back. now? Do what now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I went back to people later at Ernst and Young, and I taught them, and I was like, woohoo! I knew how to do something. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, again, I, I know people say, well, that requires a lot of courage. I, but I, I think uh, I honestly just see that as as the humility. And then also this concept that you're talking about of to nurses, you know, don't just stay in your lane. Don't don't put your head down and only think about nursing. Connect with the team, connect with connect with housekeeping, connect with with therapy. Uh, look, keep your head up and, and soak up as much as you can. And I, it just seems like. Uh, Seems like you're saying, you know, you don't need the title to be a leader. Just act like a leader Correct. now, and and yeah, act like a leader now. And the other thing that that I I observed, and you know, it's funny because when you're younger, I wasn't necessarily aware of this, but other people around you see your qualities. And if you volunteer for things and you're humble and you're, you know, the principle of servant leadership, that we're we're there to serve. Yeah others and in healthcare and we're in a quite frankly a, a blessed profession in nursing nursing is the most respected profession in the united states mm. consistently year after year it comes back from the surveys um, that are done nationally that we are um, the most trusted profession and and for nurses who might be listening to this think about it your neighbor will say to you, um, gee, you know, I, I've got to get a total hip replacement. Where would you go in our in our market, you know, in our in our city for, for that? Or um, I'm not sure whether or not there's an issue here. Could you just come and look at my little kid's right. lip? He, <laughs> he just fell down. So nurses are called upon yeah. as trusted um, servants, really, of, of the mission to help people, to help them get better or, or at least to help them, you know, um, peacefully uh, die and so that's a that's a that's a big deal that's a really big deal and you're right leadership happens everywhere it does it's not just um you know it's not just in a formal role when when i retired from my last job at the joint commission 
I wanted to volunteer because I didn't have to travel all the time anymore. So I went to my church and I said, gosh, you know, I have some time and, and I'd like to volunteer. And the, the lady in the rectory said, oh, you really need to um, volunteer with St. Vincent de Paul because of your clinical background. And I immediately went in and, and humbly listened and, and tried to understand w- what we were trying to do. And, and uh, it became clear to me that when we went out to people's homes, gosh, not only did they you know, potentially have some need for uh, a short-term help with their telephone bill or their rent, but my goodness, they needed food. They needed the ability to to get um, subsidized housing or on on Medicaid. And so we develop. I develop helped develop a list of resources that every person that goes out now carries with them in case there's other needs that these people have. And I'm not tooting my own horn. It's just the ability to lead in a situation, whether you're a volunteer or whether you're. Um, it empowers you. Situation. It empowers yeah. you, and it makes. And as long as you do it in a respectful and humble manner, people don't become offended. So so help me out then with, you know, as you're speaking to nurses, what's on your stop doing list? What what are things that you say, okay, nurses, you've we, we if you really want to be great, we need to avoid this or stop doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and this is um, some credit to my friend Michael Dowling, who is the CEO of Northwell Health in the um, northeastern part of the New York uh, boroughs. And he, he kind of wrote a series of little um, guidelines on what to avoid as a leader. And, and I think this is true whether you're a leader or a manager. The first thing is becoming so impressed with yourself or infatuated with yourself and your own title or your own situation that you forget that not everybody sees that and not everybody um, believes that, that that's the cat's meow, as my dad would have said. Uh-huh. Um, lacking that humility, always remaining, you know, worried about your own ego is I think a key thing to avoid dividing the team instead of unifying them gossiping. I, there's nothing I hate worse than gossiping, you know, spending all your time uh, tearing people down and saying, well, you know, he did this or she did that, that that's not helpful. Being able to unify the team and say, we're a team together. We all have skills. We all make mistakes. Everybody's human. Choosing the wrong people or choosing them for the wrong reasons. You choose your friends, not, you know, not because they have the competence, um, but because they're your friend or it's just you just need a warm body. So you choose somebody meaning bringing them on your team. So you're hiring somebody that's your friend rather than the right person or you're hiring them because they have a degree and a pulse. Exactly. And Mm. the reality is those always and I, I did that myself at joint commission. I hired the wrong person and I lived to regret it because I had to do a lot of back work after the person didn't work out, but I, I was desperate and, you know, I knew better than to do that, but I, but I did it anyway. Um, not apologizing. We all should recognize, I think all leaders should recognize that there are times we make mistakes or we're wrong or we, we hurry into a decision or we didn't listen carefully to other people's um, feelings or hurt someone's uh, feelings so not apologizing, I think, is a big no-no. So you're saying be, be quick to be quick to admit, hey, I've, I made a mistake there. I'm really sorry. 
and to not be ashamed. And, okay. And be, and be, you know, don't use, don't overuse it to the point where people say she's not sincere or he's not sincere. Right. They're always, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm right. sorry. <laughs> I, I had a, I had a CEO say to me one time that that um, I was generally right in what I was recommending for them. But I said, I, I'm sorry, too much. He said, and it, it actually diminishes your strength as a leader. Say I'm sorry when it's legitimate, but don't overuse it. And I thought that was a, yeah, a good piece like of advice, that. too. Blaming your predecessors. You know, pe- everybody, all of us have predecessors in, in roles that have come before us and saying, well, you know, this person did that wrong or I didn't do that. I wasn't here then. It, it really doesn't matter if you were at the, the place before or not. We all inherit things. And so moving on and saying, well, you know, some good things happened back in the year 2010, but now we're going to be doing some new things because we've learned new things. But that's see, okay. that, that's what I think is a lack of humility, too, is we're, we're, we're protecting our ego. We're setting up our scapegoats around us to protect our ego. And if we can just get rid of the ego and embrace that personal humility, we won't need to focus that effort on blood. Yeah, we know, we know things happened in the past, yeah, as they always yeah. do. Now let's rise. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Let's, let's, that's the past. And I, I had to learn, actually, um, relearn that lesson when I was at Joint Commission, because people kept being unhappy about some of the things they had done. And, and I just, I finally learned to say, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I can't speak to that, but let's talk about what we can do together now. Um, so the other thing is, you know, all of us do our best to communicate, but there's always something lost in translation. So don't assume that what you intended to communicate was actually what the receiver got. So that old adage of tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then summarize um, what you just said is not a bad, not a bad thing for a leader. And then never lower the bar on civility and respect. I think um, disrespectful behavior, uh, rudeness, um, you know, profanity, that kind of thing, that just doesn't have any place in our workplace um, and mm. certainly uh, makes people feel, uh, think less of anyone that is a leader. It seems like good advice just to say, you know, I'm a nurse right now. I'm going to have these high standards of civility and respect Absolutely. no matter what and just make that determination now. I like that. What What about with everything that's happening in this COVID crisis? What What, what do you want to say to the nurses and CNAs out there that are, are every day on the front lines? Yeah. Well, I, I personally think, Clay, that this virus is the hardest enemy that we most of us have faced in our lifetimes. Um, I, you know, I've been through a number of other things, 9-11, um, other H1N1, AIDS, but the uncertainty of what we know about this disease and the fact that it's not a short-term fix, it's going to continue on until we find a vaccine, makes us really feel powerless and out of control. And so um, I actually did some webinars that I shared with Ensign, and they'll be available wherever, Clay, you you think they're appropriate. But but part of that talks about this issue of managing stress and the fact that we, we can't control the virus. We can only control what we do when we take our precautions. And um, frankly, we're the standard bearers. We're the standard bearers for our residents and family. We're the standard bearers for, you know, our friends, our neighbors, our family. My colleague in the third of the webinar series um, 
Bill Duffy talks about the normalization of deviance and danger. You know, we get away with not washing our hands, and so we figure, ah, got away with it. We didn't take any infection home to our, our family, or we didn't transmit infection. But the reality is you can't normalize that. Each and every time we bear the standard of doing the right things, that others see us doing the right thing because we are role models for our colleagues and for our residents and and their families. Um, The role of the leader is really to do everything correctly. Wash your hands, um, you know, use social distancing, use masks, use face shields um, when appropriate, use all the PPE. And and frankly, um, whether you're at work or off work, it, it really doesn't matter. You're always on. There's an expression that people use in leadership roles that you're really never off the job. And that's true of nurses. I know that people are watching me, even when I'm in you know, a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. They know I'm a nurse. My neighbors know that. And that's why and they're coming to you and asking for advice. And they're watching exactly. and they're saying, who do you recommend? And they're watching exactly. how you handle things around COVID. And whether they say anything or not, they're they're mimicking because they Absolutely. see you as the authority on it. <laughs> yeah, and then you know we have to take care of ourselves. We can't work so hard, so many hours, so many jobs, so many different roles that we become burnt out. And when when nurses become burnt out, we become less effective. We we are not able to connect with our residents, and we're not able to connect with our families, and it hurts our own health. So so it's important for us even despite all this free-floating anxiety as leaders, um, I think one of the things is to be hopeful. So there are a couple of hopeful things that I'd share with with my nurse and nursing assistant colleagues. One, um, there has been no time in the history of any other major infectious um, pandemic or, or a flu outbreak that scientists from all over the world have worked together. Typically, hmm. um, people have worked just in their own countries and they've been selfish because one, one country wanted to get the Nobel Prize or wanted to develop the drug first. This is very different. It doesn't matter what country in the world, doesn't matter the politics. Scientists 24-7, because of the, you know, frankly, the ability of technology to, to talk with each other, are researching this as fast and as, as quickly as they can. Yeah, that's the true. fastest developed vaccine um, was the mumps vaccine, and that was developed in four years. We, we actually think, in all the work I've been doing um, around COVID, that, that we can actually have a vaccine out in 18 to 24 months. Wow. That's, unheard, that's unheard of for human beings with all the clinical trials. So there is some positive things. So when people get bummed out, uh, dating myself with that term, but when people get <laughs> bummed out and they're, they're frightened or they're upset, the job of a leader is to say, yes, there are a lot of unknowns, yes, it is hard. Yes, it's exhausting to take on and off this PPE all the time, but but we're doing the right thing for ourselves, for our families, for our residents, for our colleagues. And there are there are some bright spots now. There are places in the United States that it is stable. The transmission level is way way down, and we can get there too. We can get there too. I like that. So seeing that hope. What if I'm a leader that is not a clinician? I, I'm an executive director and I want to be better at developing uh, nurses into nurse leaders around me. Do, any, any advice that you have for me? Yes, I'd, I'd love to give some advice there. So the first thing you can do is you can advocate for nurses 
to be given opportunities to grow and stretch. Um, because they are a registered nurse, don't assume that that they can't also develop business skills or they can't also develop um, management tools or quality improvement tools, whatever those are. Um, give, give them opportunities. Uh, if they're interested and willing to stretch, um, help them, nurture them, uh, you know, feed them those opportunities. Please listen um, to your nurse colleagues. Really pay attention. If, if a nurse leader says that they're concerned about a resident safety or quality of care issue, um, don't be flippant about it. If there is a respectful response to legitimate concerns, you'll really increase trust. When I was a young nurse leader, I went to a non-nurse about a serious patient care issue, and I was nervous because my staff had come to me, and I, I thought, well, you know, he's just he's just going to blow me off, mm-hmm. or he's going to say, who died and left you, boss? Um, but he didn't. He said, thank for some, he didn't ask me who brought the concern uh, to me, which was important, because it's not a matter of who brings the concern. It's that the concern exists. He, um, he said to me, thank, thank your staff for bringing this to your attention. Uh, I've got the ball now, and I will take care of it. And he did take care of it. So the next That's time good. something happened, um, I had a great deal of trust in him that he would take care of it. And our teaming improved because he paid attention to legitimate um, concerns. The other thing is, I-, I would say assume good intentions. Not everybody knows how to present their, their business case for change, but they might have a kernel of a good idea. So don't shoot some a nurse colleague down because she or he doesn't maybe articulate it in the most um, business-oriented or, or um, financial uh, uh, way. They, they, they may not know how to do that, and help them, help them learn. Um, I had non, non-nurses or were the ones who actually taught me about the difference between balance sheets and income statements, and, and those are good things to know. And then the last thing I'd say is when there are successes, celebrate together, celebrate um, the ability to reduce the amount of uh, turnover. You know, nurse, nursing is working very hard on turnover. And when that happens, when the turnover goes down at a facility, celebrate together and say, this was everybody's win. It wasn't just um, the nurse leaders. It was the executive trips. It was everybody's win because that environment and that culture is a team culture that everybody um you know, everybody benefits from. And when there's challenges, when things don't go so well, um, adapt approach of we're in this together rather than blaming. I, I love that. I, 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 you know, there's so many of those that I want to comment on, but but for lack of time, as you say, assume good intentions. I've always just thought that's such a happy way to live in general, not not just for, you know, uh, trying to understand people, but just, just in all of our uh interactions with people if you can learn to habitually assume good intentions uh it's just you're gonna have a lot less uh, stress in your life you I know think so. i you know i know i know there's a nursing shortage out there but but even more than that i'd say there's a nursing leadership shortage out there and and obviously we've talked about this being a great nurse doesn't necessarily make you a great nurse leader that really needs to be nurtured and developed. It needs to be intentional in, in trying to become a leader. Before we conclude, is there is there anything else you'd like to add in this podcast? Yeah, Clay, thank you. I, I would like to say to the nurses listening and the nursing assistants and the executive directors, recognize the opportunities for each other for growth and push each other forward if people are interested. Don't be shy about expressing your interest and in saying, 
gee, I'd love to become an executive director. I watched many people get up on stage and get awards. Uh, I was very proud as a board member um, of the nurse leaders and the executive directors who had clinical backgrounds. That's awesome. But be realistic. You can't do everything all at the same time. I, I, I mentor a lot of young nurses, and I was mentoring a young nurse, and she was getting married. She was in graduate school full-time with an online program, and she was working full-time in a job that had just eliminated her colleagues. So she was actually doing two jobs at the same time. Hmm. And the poor gal, and, and her grandpa was dying from cancer. So, you know, the poor gal was just... She was completely overwhelmed, and I finally said, you know what, one of these things probably, and some of them you don't have a choice of because of timing, but either take a step back at work or take a step back in your education. You don't have to do everything all at the same time, Kara is her name, and that worked well. She's a year out of, she finished her, her master's degree, and she is in another uh, job at the same organization and she's doing just fine so hmm. um we all can't be you know they say you can't have it all you can have it all but not all at the same time and i think that's true you know i think we recently released a podcast on on becoming an essentialist the mind of an essentialist and the ability to to really uh learn how to say no to the things that that are uh, not as important to the things that are and, and, and really focusing on the things that are essential in life uh, and, and other books that have said, you know, we need to be great at, at focusing on less and then obsessing about those things. And thanks so much for taking the time to, to come and chat with these caregivers out there. I mean, we, we, we're all so grateful for everything that they do. And I think your experience and your perspective is, uh, can be a real blessing to them and helping them progress. Uh, so I, I want to thank you for your time. I, I'm sure next time we talk to you, you'll have a couple more initials after your name. So uh, so thanks well, for thank sharing you. your expertise. Thanks so much for the opportunities and to the nurses, uh, nursing assistants, uh, therapists, and uh, administrative leaders out there. Thank you for everything you do for for the, the families, the residents and the families that you serve. Um, you can't imagine the difference you make in people's lives. Thank you so much. Thank you.